people think that they know the original languages of the Bible because they could Google it. And <laughs> no, and uh, they cut out they cut it out of the video. But we had a discussion. I was going into the Greek and the Hebrew, and uh, it was weird that Brenda was going over some like German translation of the 1800s. I'm like, and I'm thinking that doesn't even matter. I'm like, <laughs> The first century, I make that statement because they were not in the same level. I mean, like, I'm talking about the Greek. Hi, welcome to the church split. My name is Will, and this is Brian. You guys are familiar with him. Uh, today, we have a very special episode, but first, don't forget to like and subscribe, and do comment. Comment helps the algorithm, so comment below. Tell Brian how funny looking he is, and uh, we'll go from there. And only No mention more making me. fun of my hair again, guys. I'm going to get it cut tomorrow. Brian, you're, you're the one with the ginger mop on the head. I just don't know why. You just, just go a little bit of gel. We'll go a long way. Uh, so anyway, uh, thank you guys for hanging out with us today. We have a special guest by popular request. We got in contact with Pastor Jason. Now, many of you guys might be familiar with Jubilee and their Middle Ground episode. We did have Angel Wilson on recently, who was on that episode as well. And thankfully, uh, Angel was able to get me in contact with Pastor Jason. So with no further ado, Pastor Jason, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me here. Thank you Glad for- being on. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to come on. Yeah. I had no clue how to get in contact with you. <laughs> and so, Angel, uh, shout out to you, man. Really appreciate you putting us in contact with each other. So um, anyway, before we get into talking about Jubilee, because I know that's what a lot of the people have requested, like, oh, my goodness, you got Angel. Get Pastor Jason. I'm like, I'm trying. Uh, I would love for people to kind of know a little bit about you. And I think it'd be neat for people to know a bit of your background, who you are, things along that nature. So go ahead and uh, wax eloquently, if you will. Okay, well, I'm not going to go chronologically, but right now I am the senior pastor of La Habra Christian Church, which is a city about 30 minutes east of LA. So it's a multi-racial church. We have white, black, um, Asian, Latino, and I've been a pastor for about, I'd say, 20 years. I was, uh, after graduating from UC Berkeley, I became an engineer, civil engineer, and uh, as I was working, um, I was also helping out at church on the weekends and doing my thing, leading Bible study. And as I was working, I got a promotion, and I realized, wow, I, I can't do the weekend thing anymore because you know I got to be faithful to God and do my work properly. So I was thinking about how am I going to tell my church that I'm going to quit. So, But every time I prayed, I felt God was leading me towards ministry, to quit my job and go to ministry. And although I, I have friends, and you probably have friends who, who just quit everything and just went into ministry, I couldn't do that. I'm like, <laughs> God, I'm making a lot of money. I'm giving a lot of money for missions, and God... Oh, I worked so hard to get here. What do you mean quit? I just got a promotion. Couldn't you tell me before I got that? And so I said no to God. I said no for six months. So I don't have that amazing story of just leaving everything behind and just going to ministry. But no, I couldn't say no to the money. Couldn't say no to my career. But I just knew that that's where God was calling me. And you guys know, when you know that God wants you somewhere else, whether it's ministry or whether it's in different field or career, and you're not living in God's will, it makes you miserable. Mm -hmm. And after six months, I felt guilty and miserable, guilty every time I got my paycheck, knowing that this is not God's will for me. So 
Wow. At the end, I was so miserable, I just gave up. God, all right, I quit my job, and I'm going to go to ministry. <laughs> so that's what I did. Um, to make a long story short, I quit my job, and I went to ministry. And uh, uh, I, I always said no to God because I felt like I wasn't the pastor type. That I felt like there was the pastor type that, that speaks slowly, that speaks in spiritual language all the time, always <laughs> quoting Bible verses. And I wasn't like I wasn't like that. I was I love rap music. Eminem's my favorite artist, and I'm like, that's not the picture of a typical pastor. I'm like, and I love racing cars. I go to the track. I used to be a street racer in high school, so that that's part of my blood. It's fun. Speeding is, even as a pastor, I, I just gotta you gotta pray for me. That's a, a big question of mine. Speeding is just part of my blood. But you know, I'm like, that's not the pastor type. That's not me, God. You you. Got, you got someone, wrong person, wrong person. But uh, <laughs> I knew that God calls people specifically because they're unique, because they're different to reach different types of people for his kingdom. And so uh, that's why I was focused on youth ministry for about about 20 years, because I was just going to focus on youth, and that was my thing. And not only that, I started a channel called Pastor Jason Answers, the YouTube channel, because I felt like um, a lot of people had questions, but I felt like a lot of the answers we're already already in the Bible, or if you read books like C.S. Lewis, John Piper, Josh Josh McDowell, um, if you read books, you have answers. But I felt like the people that I wanted to reach, they don't read books. You probably know people like that. I mean, if mm -hmm. they read books, they probably wouldn't have those questions. But I'm trying to reach the people who are not into church, who are not into apologetics books and they, they Google everything and they find all these different various answers. And I wanted to reach those people who are um, one foot in the door of church, one foot out, kind of iffy and wishy-washy even, not familiar with church, not really familiar with the Bible. And those are the other people that I wanted to reach with either a secular music or just uh, the way I portray myself to make things simple and streamlined. That's why back then my videos were five minutes or less so that I could just get in, get out, and have them watch the whole video. And so that was my thing to, to reach people. And while doing that, I would reach other youth and people from all over the world. So that's how I got started doing that. And also to keep people's interest, I got into interviewing, whether it's Catholic priests or Orthodox priests or other religious people, to, uh, to help people understand how Christianity is unique and how Christianity is real and it's the truth. But it wasn't enough for me to just um, show people what Christianity is, even to show people the truth. Um, well, every now and then I do um, ministry or sermon projects in which I go out and I do something. So then maybe in that process I would learn something. Sometimes I learn something, sometimes I don't. I worked at McDonald's for a month to learn about serving. That was tough. <laughs> Huh. I learned a lot from that experience. Once I was a bartender for a few months, because I had this uh, romantic imagery, you know, from the movies that, hey, talk to me. I'll be your counselor. I'll help you out. Maybe you share the gospel like that. I was so wrong. <laughs> Bartenders are so busy. I mean, they're as busy as McDonald's. I mean, you're making drinks here, and it's like, oh, my gosh. I can't talk to people like this, so I quit soon after that. But, but so every now and then, I, I try things out to uh, see what I could learn from that experience. I was an EMT at an ambulance, and I learned about helping people. We mostly helped out senior citizens. I had this romantic idea that I'm going to save people who was bleeding out and everything and car accidents. But first couple of years, they don't give you any of that. So you just <laughs> people and 
talk with them. But so I learned certain things. And then uh, when I moved back, I was in San Jose for about nine years doing ministry. And I moved back home to L.A. again. And I thought, I have some free time. I don't have to immediately jump into another church. So I decided, hey, what about this new thing called Uber and Lyft driving? Might as well try that out, see what I can learn from that. And while I was, and so I thought God would teach me how to uh, just talk to random people. And that was fun because I, I, I wasn't, although I did do random evangelism on the streets for church or for missions, I didn't normally do that in the supermarkets or at the beach or anything like that. So I thought this would be a good experience for me to just get out of my comfort zone because I'm an introvert. It's hard to tell from my videos, but I'm an introvert. <laughs> I'm not didn't see that guy. coming. I'm not, guy talks. I'm not the guy who's up on stage all the time. So it takes effort for me to reach out and just talk to random strangers. And I wanted to show people that I could do this. I wanted to show other people that you could do this too. Because I, we're always telling people you should evangelize to friends, to strangers. You should do it. But I wanted to show them that it's possible. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll record a few times when I evangelize to my Uber passengers and how I could share the gospel, how I could jump into or change or steer a conversation towards the gospel. Now, I've, I've taught this many times in seminars all over California, but, you know, it's one thing to hear a, a teaching on a seminar, and it's another thing to see it for yourself. Yep. So I thought, you know, by, by watching me even make mistakes, maybe other people can learn and say, you know what, it's okay if you make mistakes. If you can't, it's okay if you don't have the right answer. It's okay if you didn't take that opportunity right there. You know, watching and learning, I think other people can get a lot more from what I'm doing. So that's what I, that's how I started Uber Evangelism, just talking to people and how you could talk to Buddhists or atheists or Jews about Jesus, but not being offensive, you know. So that's my story in a nutshell. That's really interesting. So uh, that's you've kind of been everywhere, dabbled in all of it, and <laughs> I think that's really cool because you're you know you're kind of putting your, your money where your mouth is. So uh, not a lot of people do that now. Um, so you have been a pastor for about twenty years, which by the way you're you must be aging like a fine wine because I'm over here aging like a raisin. I'm not even thirty yet, and you look younger than me, so it's ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, jealous. What'd you say? You're jealous. I am jealous. <laughs> do you have kids? Uh, I have one daughter. How old is she? She is five months. Well, you're going to start aging more. I mean, I was a lot <laughs> younger before I had kids. I have two kids right now, and, and they're making me age fast. So uh, <laughs> next year, I'm going to gain five more years. Perfect. That's, that's just what I needed to hear. <laughs> oh, this pastor, okay, let's hang up. Let's hang up on him right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like that he's trolling you. This is great. <laughs> Someone's always trolling me. But anyway, uh, so, well, that's really great. I really love that. Um, and so, and where did exactly did you study? Because I think this part is important for my, for my more Reformed listeners. Well, when I first uh, quit my job to become a pastor, I always thought that God would send me to the mission field. So the best seminary for missions, I would say hands down, is Fuller Seminary. So I went to Fuller for a year in Pasadena, and I, and I was really uh, confused because professors taught different things. One seemed Reformed. Another was very liberal. My Old Testament professor said that Moses didn't re write the five books of the Bible. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so I would, part of my research was to uh, debate against them. I'm like, and as I was going through this, I'm like, this is not the way to learn from a seminary that I'm trying to defeat or debate my professors. <laughs> I mean, that's not right. So, 
So I thought, okay, I could learn other stuff and I could learn missions later on. But right now, I want my foundations to be solid on the Bible. And I knew that Westminster Seminary, not only Westminster, but Westminster was known to know the Bible. Now, they might not be great at missions. They're not. They're not great at other things, but they are good, really good at the Bible. And if there's one thing I want to be really good at, I want to be good at the Bible. Mm. Other stuff like preaching, ministry, missions, I'll learn from others. I'll learn from books, which I have. But this part of theology, I have to learn from Westminster Seminary. So that's where I went for three years, graduated there as a five-point Calvinist. Hey, and the reason why I said that is a lot of my, I have a lot of Reformed friends and listeners, and I already told Pastor Jason this beforehand, uh, that, I, that we get no Calvinist representation on here. And I keep saying, <laughs> I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. I love Calvinists, my Calvinist brothers, and I love the Reformed people. And of course, I love the Reformation because I have authority issues. So it's great. <laughs> so, um, isn't that the truth? Any, what'd you say? I said, isn't that the truth? Yeah, exactly. Also, I think it's funny you mentioned the fact that you should have to debate your professors. I was raised uh, as a hardcore, staunch, independent, fundamental Baptist, and I went to mm-hmm. a staunch IFB college, and I found myself debating myself there all the time because I disagreed <laughs> so much with it. And, and you're I'm, in trouble all the time. What? It was, it was bad doctrine. Uh, <laughs> I can't help it. Uh, so I just find that funny. I'm like, oh, Pastor Jason did the right thing, the smarter thing, which is he shifted instead of debating, and I just stayed there just punching everything. So... <laughs> You're a wise man, and you made the right choice. That's what I'm trying to say. Unfortunately, uh, my full year at Fuller, all of those credits didn't transfer. They only transferred as electives. All my theology, my one year of Greek only counted as two months worth at Westminster. So I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> I'm at the right place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing when you mentioned, like, you want to be good at the Bible. And that is so important. And it's like, right. and each place, I mean, every place, and that's not docking Fuller or anything. It's like, no, each each place is going to have a good focus. Certain places are better at other things. And that's fine. And, you know, I think obviously the Bible is the sure foundation that we have of our faith. So if you're going to learn anything, learn the Bible. And uh, so I'd say you made the right choice there. But anyhow, um, so, well, now that people get a little bit about you and your your struggle with fighting God to go into ministry, uh, I have a similar uh, experience there. And I can say that, yes, God will make you miserable until you surrender to him. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so then, but then, you know, recently a lot of the people who have requested you is from your Jubilee experience, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where you went on there as representing a conservative Christian. And what's funny is that you're a conservative Christian pastor who is Orthodox, who is Reformed Orthodox, and uh, you live in L.A. First of all, I have to ask, what's it like being a conservative pastor living in L.A.? Well, well, there are plenty of conservatives here in California because, uh, Actually, when I went to Berkeley, Berkeley actually has, I mean, Berkeley is known to be liberal, lots of demonstrations and protests. But Berkeley, at least back then, had the biggest Republican chapter of all the universities because at Berkeley, we saw what liberalism liberalism looks like when it's really practiced, not just in theory, but we saw how far left things can go. We're like, no, that's not what I want. And so we found more Republicans who were Republicans by choice, not because my parents were, not because that's how I grew up watching TV. But in California, it's like similar that you have to have a reason to be a Republican or to be a conservative even, not just Republican. Democrats could be Republican, I mean, to be conservatives too. But yeah, conservatives are not rare, but 
more silent in California. I mean, they exist. I mean, they come out to vote, but um, they're more silent because um, what's expressed in the media and among conversations is always tends to be more liberal and not just conservative, but when I Calvinist, a five point at that, that's a rare breed almost in California because uh, oh. it's just not, well, people don't know what it is. And uh, they, many people haven't even heard of it, even those who have gone to churches. Hmm. That's how rare it is around here. Huh. Wow. So what, is, what are the, uh, what are the, this is a random question I had, what are the primary denominations you'd run into then out there? Oh, we have, in LA, we have everything, all, all of the above, and then some. I mean, there are religions out there that are, that are brand new, invented in 2020. <laughs> I, I, and I, I like to put myself out there. I've visited different kind of churches. I've visited Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, not to debate them, because that's a little bit disrespectful, but so that I could say, I've been in your church. I've, I've heard your preachers and, and bishops talk. I even went into one church in which they had all the religions. They worshipped all the religions. Jesus was up there next to Gandhi and Buddha and everybody oh, else. Oh, wow. So that's L.A. I mean, we have all of the above <laughs> and then some. So you'll find all the denominations that are in the rest of the country in L.A., whether it's Baptist, Methodist, Reformed Baptist, all of the above are in L.A. But you can also see how many choices people have. And so, that's, so may, maybe a Calvinism in a small town out in the Midwest is maybe one out of ten choices. Here it's one out of maybe a thousand. So you can see how someone can go through life and not even hear the word Calvinism. That's huh. interesting. Yeah, I uh, we were uh, talking before the interview. We live in Grand Rapids, so or by Grand Rapids, you. And it's like Calvin College is here, Reformed churches are everywhere, and we have a huge Catholic and Reformed presence, which is kind of ironic because it's like you're almost always living the Reformation. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, anyway, I find that interesting when people are like, oh, I never heard of it. I'm like, man, that's... Like, I see it all the time. Uh, so anyway. That's um, that's but also, in addition to that, it's it's very uh, easy for me to be exposed to the other side. Instead of just reading from a book what the other side uh, um, believes. I remember uh, on my first few mission trips, I saw demon possession and things like that. And, and I didn't really learn that kind of things from my seminary. So I decided to uh, put myself out there and I visit a a Benny Hen crusade. I visited people of the NAR movement and I visited along with other churches and cults. I also uh, put myself out there to see what it's like to worship in a Pentecostal church. And so I'm often asked to uh, interview or for podcast or video interview for what I think about the NAR movement. I, I just did that last week. And I could speak on those issues, not because I've read about it online, but because I've visited, I've spoke to the leaders. And, and so I've, I've seen what they are, the good and the bad. So I could speak from experience when I talk about certain issues. That's really great, too, because it means you're not misrepresenting them, and you're not just going by hearsay. You're actually get, putting your, again, your feet to the ground. You seem like you're very much boots to the ground kind of pastor. Like, no, I'm yeah, but I, I still get accused a bit of, of misrepresenting them because, you know, not one person represents their whole religion either. So <laughs> I, yeah. I still get this wrong. Well, and also I've noticed a lot of people, if you say something that's truthful about what they're saying, but you they don't like the words you use, they'll say it's a misrepresentation, even <laughs> though it might be completely accurate. So... Right. Sometimes you can't win for losing. But uh, well, I think too, it's interesting because based on your kind of experience in checking out different churches, it probably shows how well 
you were suited for that Jubilee episode because, um, you know, we talked to Angel. He's like, I never even heard of progressive Christianity. And that was, he's like <laughs> learning on the fly during the episode. But and I was going <laughs> to, when I was prepping for this, I was really going to ask you that. But then I re listened to the episode. I was like, no, Jason definitely knew what progressive Christianity was because you kind of dropped the hammer on him at the end because you, you called out how they, how they review the Bible. You called out their hermeneutic. You called out um, their interpretation. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, he, you were hitting a one, two, three. You're like, I know exactly how you guys are looking at the Bible. Um, and that now I know because you were experiencing it firsthand as you're checking out different places. Well, since you mentioned the video, I mean, because I'm familiar with video editing and because I've been to even Jubilee videos before, I know that in the way they uh, produced it, it's almost like sound bites. They're not going to have an unedited two-hour video. And because I know this, um, I have to come out quicker and harsher and faster, different from how I portray myself in my Uber evangelism videos, where I have time when I'm very respectful. I spend a lot of time listening to them, most of all. But I knew that if I went that route for the Jubilee video, I'm not going to be seen and I'm not going to be heard. Because if I keep nodding my head and just listen, 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 and just say one thing, that one thing might even get cut out. So because of that, I had to prepare my head some things that I knew I had to get out before it gets edited out. So make sure I don't pause too much. Just get the main gist out <laughs> and everything else. Hopefully, they either have to cut the whole thing out or just leave it in. And so I, I had to be to the point many times, which seems rude at times, which seems, especially with the way they cut it, it seems very abrupt. I, I sometimes come off like a jerk. But as long as I get the truth out, that was what's more, more important to me. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, I guess well, let's go ahead and talk about the Jubilee experience in it. So uh, what, why did you choose to go on Jubilee? Because you've done it before, like Angel. Mm -hmm. uh, so why, why is it this was another idea of evangelism for you? Did you really feel passionate against, like, you know, beating up progressive Christianity for a while? Why did you choose to go uh, on to Jubilee? Well, I think generally in the media, I think um, conservative Christians are either looked upon as wackos or crazy or, or ultra-rights, or they're idiots. And that's how we see them in Hollywood. That's how we see them in the news, even Fox media. And I wanted to make sure that people not only get the truth, but see that, hey, I'm a real person. I'm not a caricature that you see on TV or the media. I'm a real person with real ideas, and I'm, I want to be able to present the truth intellectually. And I wanted to represent real Christians, not just the ones that you see on TV. And so that was the first reason that I went on. And because I'm respectful to others, I'm not down in their face, and because I, I show them respect, Jubilee really liked me, and so they would invite me again and again. And so I would take those opportunities to show people that, you know, I mean, real conservative Christians, not even conservative, uh, real devoted Christians who love Jesus, are not crazy people. I mean, they're real people who you may sit next to on the bus and they have real thoughts and ideas that are logical and they're actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's actually been one of my biggest frustrations, of course, because the media will always plaster the crazies. And, mm -hmm. you know, they don't, they don't, put, they don't show uh, people like you mentioned uh, Dr. Piper earlier. Uh, or Yeah, he's Dr. John Piper. Yeah, he's, a, he's got a yeah. doctorate. I didn't think about that. I'm like, wait, did I? Anyway, uh, you know, they don't show people like, you know, William Lane Craig or even Dr. Braxton Hunter or these other pastors, you know, they, they don't show like these pastors and evangelists and apologists who are, have good 
heads on their shoulders or the normal pastors. They always choose the crazy ones. So uh, yeah. that was actually uh, your mission successful because you got your mic drops in there. But I don't, I didn't, I felt like you came in harsh with a hammer, but not like harsh in a bad way, but just kind of like, all right, we're going to put away the, the formalities for a second. I'm going to say what the problem is. But then you also did what, you know, you did come off relatable too, because then you would say, you kind of, you bring in the hammer and then you kind of let it down easy at the end. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I don't know, I thought you came off very much like a real person in that entire exchange. And I thought that was awesome. And so mission successful. You're doing, you do a really good job. So, um, so was there anything now, obviously, again, this was about a two, two and a half hour sit down experience and they put out a 30 minute episode, which means mm -hmm. it's basically the fact that you had the Snyder cut originally that turned into the <laughs> justice league right uh -huh. <laughs> right so um what was there anything that you said that you wish they got on camera that you wish w made it into the episode or would you say that the main parts that you wanted to come out came out well in in what was produced well the thing is when viewers see people they don't just see the arguments or the logic they actually want to relate to the people and if they like the person they'll receive that logic or the argument better. If they don't like the person, um, they don't like whatever he's going to say. I mean, that's just our human prejudice. And because of that, I wanted to make sure that my humanity came off clearly. But I know some things are going to get cut. Like there were sometimes, a lot of times when we actually agreed, both progressives and conservatives agreed on certain points. Huh. But that's not interesting. <laughs> that's, that's boring. <laughs> of course they're going to cut that out when we agree that there's no argument. But... It was those times when you could see my humanity and my compassion and yeah, yeah, I agree with you, or Gray and like yeah, I agree with you too. Like and we would be actual human beings, but the, those get cut out, and um, the ones that stay in are the one that's hotter topics, uh, arguments and things like that. So you would only see the parts where I was really irritated by the things that they were saying. Um, there were actually some parts where I was actually harsher even more personal, but those were cut out because, uh, you know, it's, oh, too offensive. <laughs> you know, kind of like so I'm kind of glad that it was cut out, but, you know, it is what it is. So. Uh, fair enough. Uh, yeah, there was, there was a few moments in there where, I, and one of the things that stuck out to me was there's a few questions that came up, and I just wanted to ask you what your thoughts were when those questions came up when you came forward. So one of them was like, hey, so... Do you, do you believe the Republican Party represents Christian values more or better or something along that nature? Mm -hmm. And you walk, you did you walk forward in that one? Did you not? And why? Yeah. yeah, I had a small clip. I mean, it wasn't very like wow or, or anything or clever or anything like that. But I didn't want it just to be my own personal view. I wanted to make sure that people understood that Christians, devoted Christians could be either Democrats or Republicans. So one statement that I made was that, would Jesus be a Republican or would Jesus be a Democrat? And I said, maybe he'd be an independent, you know. But, you know, I didn't want to take a side for too long, even though I did express that I am a, personally a Republican. Gotcha. Yeah. No. And was there any answer you gave in that that you would have changed in that episode? Or, or are you pretty happy about where you stood on all the issues? Yeah, I'm happy in what I said. Yeah. Okay. Just, all right. That's, uh, that's fair. Just, a lot of times my answers wasn't, I mean, it was cut, so you didn't get the the, the other 30%, which would fully explain what I really meant. 
But if you take it out of context, people could misunderstand and be like, oh, did he mean this? Oh, I hate him for saying that. But no, if you had listened to the cut parts, you would know that fully what I said. Fair enough. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just curious about that. No, Brian, I know you had a few questions. I've yeah. been chatting this whole time. You go ahead. Yeah, so I was curious, like, the beginning, so they start off with, like, having you kind of define what Christianity is. And we really liked your response, which I'm seemed like it was only part of what your response probably fully was, but you said following the commandments is a minimum. And I thought it was interesting because Kurt also kind of talks about in his opening that, you know, they have some rules too, but they just they just don't like the arbitrary lines that that kind of orthodox or, or conservative Christianity has. Um, but I was curious, do you think they ever got got that, the progressive Christians in the episode, that they were setting their own rules and they were they were defining things that meant to be Christian or not Christian or nice or not nice or loving or not loving, um, but they just weren't drawing those from the Bible. They were essentially drawing them from culture or, or from their own opinion or feelings. I mean, that's what I accused them of for a couple of times, but I don't think that, that that topic was really explored. I think they were more focused on the social implications, but that's why I kept bringing it back to where you stand on the Bible, because I think all those, even what I said at the end was related to that, that all those social implications of abortion and all those issues, they may or may not be important, but the real issue is about how they feel about the Word of God. And I think yeah. all those other issues really stem from that, which that wasn't really explored, and I wish that was, but it seemed like it was apparent that only I cared about that. But it's, it's really obvious that it all stems from that. You get that one wrong, and all these other issues, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I liked your point about the issues because I think it was Brenda who kind of started in like, well, when I was an evangelical, it was all about this issue and that issue. And and you kind of, I thought, distilled it very well, which you're like, well, you know, you want to make it part of the issues. And that's why, and I think that's why your point was uh, that you felt Christianity was misrepresented of conservatives by progressives was because they make it about the issues. They make it about gay marriage mm. and make it about abortion. And you kind of take a step back, like, no, it's about the gospel. It's about what the word of God says. Um, but I was curious if you think that, do you think there is some validity to her point too? Do you think some conservative Christians really do just make it all about the issues too? It's about the, the red cup at Starbucks that's taking away Christianity or Christmas. Or do you think uh, conservatives are guilty of what she was saying? It's just, if, but if you're truly orthodox, you're focusing on the Bible? Of course, Christians are guilty of, of that because she's experienced it, and we see it. We actually see it not only in the media, but many people have experienced that kind of prejudice, um, not thinking the issues through. Even they don't know why they are against or for abortion. They just do it because it's cultural or because they just think morality-wise. But even conservative Christians, are they really grounded in the Word of God because the Word of God says so? Or is it because my pastor says so, or my church thinks so? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, and two, I was thinking, you know, with your channel name for YouTube, you know, Pastor Jason Answers, that was such a cool name because and <laughs> I was curious what, what you think about this, but with, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of this now. We've done a couple of videos about, you know, prominent Christians that were kind of like Christian celebrities that walk away mm -hmm. from the faith. We talk about Rhett Link or John Steingard, Marty Sampson. And it seems like one thing they all had in common was they were forbidding themselves from asking the hard questions. And eventually they got confronted enough of these questions that they never sought answers for that 
they kind of felt the rug go out from under them. They're like, oh, maybe there isn't anything to this Christianity thing because I don't, I can't, you know, explain the problem of evil. I can't explain why bad things happen to good people. I can't explain why I see uh, atheists doing moral things. Um, so where do you think that plays a role in people progressing to progressive Christianity or even atheism by just avoiding asking even some of the simplest but tough questions of Christianity? I think the problem is with American Christianity focuses more on what works, what's what's pragmatic or practical. Not what's true, not what's right, but what works. So if this thing helps me grow in my faith, oh, it must be from God. It must be <laughs> biblical because why would God use it? I mean, and I know God has used other facets of Christianity that's not founded on the Word of God to draw people to himself, even for salvation, and I'll, and I'll accept that. But <clears throat> seems like people are asking the wrong questions. They're asking, does it work? Does it help me grow? Instead of, is this what God wants? See, people are asking, they're not asking the right questions. So, and, I, and I know a lot of people, um, they're asking, they don't, it's not really important to them what the Word of God says, as long as I'm doing fine with God. So it's, all, once again, practical Christianity. So it's about how they feel, if I feel close to God, am I... If I'm a worship leader and I'm leading worship and I'm doing God's work and people are getting blessed and I feel used, then I don't have to answer those questions about, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is it physical or spiritual? Do I really need to think about these other heresies? Because from what I'm doing, it doesn't matter. But one day it will matter. But <clears throat> right now it doesn't. So it doesn't come up in their register. Yeah, that's a great point. I think... American Christianity in general, we like to focus on everything that we're different about, and we just divide into camps, and we're preaching mm -hmm. against other preachers because they're not doing exactly 100% the same thing I am, so that 0.1% mm -hmm. that they're different than me, then how dare them, and they're wrong, <laughs> and um, you know, that's kind of the point of our channel is, like, look, we can be united in the fundamentals, and we can, we can even ignore or not focus on or especially not divide over some of these secondary tertiary issues, um, you know, like young earth, old earth, right? Do we, do we really need to have a, a long, drawn-out debate about that? Does that really affect the truthfulness of Jesus Christ? Does that affect the truthfulness of the gospel? And uh, I think we all kind of get sidetracked by that, and we all want to fight each other. <laughs> well, I just, uh, sorry, today I had a, a friend reach out to the church split, and uh, was saying, he's like, hey, are you guys are you guys Reformed? And I was like, no, we're not Calvinist. But, you know, uh, if that's what you're asking, uh, now Reformed theology is slightly different than just Calvinism as the tulip, right? Um, and I was like, but, I was like, why? And he goes, well, I'm wondering because I you know, have this, pre this great preaching engagement opportunity and this great seminar, but my friends told me not to go because the person I'd be sharing a pulpit with and everything is a Calvinist. And then, you know, all oh, divided with those who preach a different gospel. And I was... It's like, nope, go share the gospel with them. You go preach hand in hand with this guy. Who cares if he's a Calvinist? You guys are still preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You guys might disagree on the machinations of how that works out behind the scenes, but we all agree that it's faith through Jesus Christ. And, uh, and it was funny because when he, I'm like, I can't believe that this is a camp that people will fight and destroy each other mm. over by reaching different conclusions. And by the way, different people reach different conclusions at different times. And my, my soteriology was different, you know, when I was in college versus now. And so my theology has shifted, but, you know, doesn't mean we can't be brothers and sisters in Jesus. And so anyway, 
I just wanted to bring that up. You're like, yeah, people are so involved in making these things such huge issues when they really don't need to be. You can have a, a good time with somebody you disagree with on a few issues, have coffee, discuss it out, and yeah. go watch a movie after. Who cares? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's the difference when you actually come into something like progressive Christianity where there truly is differences in the fundamentals itself. And I think this came up with um, Kurt and and Brenda talking about the writings of Paul. And uh, I kind of wanted to get more of your opinion on that, because I think they really breezed over that, and I thought that really could use a little bit more um, expansion, because that was that's quite a claim. Uh, I and wanted the... so much more on that topic <laughs> right when they were like, well, oh, yeah, we, we want to throw Paul out. more on that topic. And uh, what I realized that, they, that I didn't realize before is... Uh, People think that they know the original languages of the Bible because they could Google it. And <laughs> no, and uh, they, cut out, they cut it out of the video, but we had a discussion. I was going into the Greek and the Hebrew, and uh, it was weird that Brenda was going over some like German translation of the 1800s. I'm like, and I'm thinking, that doesn't even matter. I'm like, the, Greek, the first century. And, uh, I couldn't make that statement because... They were not in the same level. I mean, like, I'm talking about the Greek. We don't have to talk about what the Germans did, made a mistake in some word in the 18th century, because I'm talking about the original first century. <laughs> but they were quoting this person, quoting that person, who's a scholar at that. I'm, I, and I'm, do I have to repeat myself? I'm talking about the first century Greek. <laughs> 17th century, who made a mistake about pedophilia, languages. I'm not talking about how languages have changed from that, that to English. I'm talking about the Greek. But people feel like they know certain things because they could quote certain authors, a certain scholar, or quote from the internet. But a lot of people just don't know the original languages. They don't know the Bible. They feel like it's a good argument if I could talk about something from the 18th century when the Bible goes back to the first. So it's like, ah... Uh, so it got me frustrated. It's like, how do I argue with them when we're not talking the same thing? Yeah, they're using this. They're trying to claim authority of Greek or language, while meanwhile right. completely denying the foundation of it. There was that when they she mentioned that well the German translation. I remember seeing that in the video, and I about threw my phone through the wall. I'm like, who cares with the German translation? Exactly what your thought was. Yeah, and, and I think I made a I think I made a mean comment or like a slight comment that got cut out, saying like, that, that, what? <laughs> I was getting frustrated at that, so they serious? cut it out. Like that. <laughs> Pastor Jason flips a table in the room. Uh, <laughs> no, you, but the, out of all the people there, I think you're probably the only one who has actually studied Greek. So well, I find well, the other pastor started quoting and started talking about the Greek language too, but I knew that he was wrong, but how do I prove that his translation of the Greek was wrong without getting out some book somewhere? But I could show him from Greek grammatical texts that he was wrong, but then he's talking with authority and he sounds believable. So how do you argue with that when that guy is clearly wrong and you can't prove that to him on the spot? Oh, yeah. Well, I thought too that so they make the I think it was Brenda that made the point that you know we love the Bible too, and then <laughs> but then goes on to talk about how the Bible isn't inerrant, and I thought that's kind of a weird juxtaposition, right? That's that's a weird uh, molding of two different positions that really don't make any sense, right? 
if you love the Bible, then you would believe it's true. And if you find out this book isn't true, <laughs> and it's just a whole bunch of stories that are kind of nice, nice things to be similes for your life, um, maybe that's not something you're going to be in love with. Maybe in love like you're going to be in love with Harry Potter or some other book, but you know, something that'd be the foundational for your life and to actually call yourself a Christian based on this book that you don't think is true. It's kind of a weird statement. I was curious if you had any more thoughts on that or if that actually got fleshed out anymore in the video that got cut on her saying she loves it, but it's also not inerrant. Well, I could step into her shoes and kind of see from her perspective that from her perspective, although the Bible isn't perfect, it means well. And whatever is in there is there for my benefit to help us to grow. So it's like a well-meaning way, not not authoritative, but it could help me a lot, more than any other book in the world. So I see that perspective from her side. So I know that she loves the word and she's not lying when, or when she says that. But I feel like, I don't want to say I feel like, oh, they always say I feel. <laughs> but I think, <clears throat> I think that she just doesn't understand the Bible. So that's why she's blinded like that. So if someone's blind, you don't yell at that person for being blind. Just try to help that person see. Mm, that's a, that's a good way to put it because uh, that's that's hard to do. So should we start getting frustrated? Like when they're talking about right. amputating an entire chunk of the New Testament, like all of Paul's writings. One of the things that struck me in that video when they were talking about, oh yeah, well Paul's writings, whatever. Like, but hold up, Paul probably more than any other part of the New Testament talks about grace, love, and accepting the fruits of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, all these things that that you progressives would love and applaud, but as soon as he steps into you know, the sacred cow of homosexuality, the sacredness of marriage, suddenly it's, well, we don't like Paul. And I just <laughs> find that really interesting where it's like, no, it seems like you guys just don't like it when he steps on the social sacred cows. And that's what they are now, right? It's like, you know, mm -hmm. the LGBTQ plus abortion. These are the sacred cows of progressivism. It's part of the ideology. And Kurt even admitted that you have to submit to certain ideology to be part of progressive Christianity. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't find, I, and one of the things I, I, I would be curious, cause you're also you're like, like us, you're, you're a conservative Orthodox Christian. You believe in the main fundamentals of the faith. You know, you, you, you go for, to confessions and councils and you know, the whole mm -hmm. nine, you're, you're, you're there, you're with it. I'd be curious what your thoughts are on this. Cause there's, to me, I've always been like, there's a certain air of arrogance to progressive Christianity, which mm -hmm. is, you know, oh man, the 3,000 years plus of Judaism, oh, they got it all wrong. Oh, you know, that New Testament, you know, Paul, the guy who had Jesus reveal himself on the road to Damascus, all wrong. You know, they got all these things completely wrong. What are your thoughts on that? Where it's just like, let's take the whole of Christian history on these topics and throw them out the window. I'd love to... Just pick your brain. I thought about why they could come out with such confidence and such, maybe arrogance is not the right word, but it's like conceit. It's like, it's like they're thinking in their minds, how dare you say that or think that? And I'm thinking, how dare they, how dare they think that? Because uh, for them, I think that they believe that there are some truths that we know to be true and we don't know why. And some truths are, like you could say they're the three cardinal sins of America or, or modern age is number one, um, no bullying. Bullying is worse than murder. Bullying is bad. Second is sexual sin, like sexual misconduct, like like Kevin Spacey or, right, or those public figures that fell. Sexual misconduct is super bad. 
It's worse than murder. Third is exclusion. Don't exclude other people. Now, generally, we agree with those things. We shouldn't bully. Sexual misconduct is bad. We shouldn't ex exclude people. But those are way above everything else, especially excluding people. So it's not that they love homosexuality so much. They hate anything or any, any teaching that excludes them from normal, regular life. So that includes transgenders. It's not that, it's not that liberals are pro-transgenders and they love them so much, but they hate the idea of excluding anyone or anything, whether they be blacks or minorities or, um, or transgender or homosexual or LGBTQ. So because, because that's the truth that cannot be denied for them. It, we don't know where it came from, but that's the truth. You cannot exclude people. And if they see things in the Bible that exclude people, well, the Bible must have been mistranslated or something must have been, um, so we have to relearn the truth because we know this is the truth. And the other stuff, we'll judge everything by that. Hmm. That's such an interesting perspective. And I, I, I completely see that as you explain it, that, yeah, especially the, the exclusion part is, is such a sacred cow. But the mm -hmm. irony of it is, and I think more conservatives can see this kind of taking a step back, is that their rhetoric and even how they approach those topics is exclusionary. Like, if they <laughs> yes. are being exclusive, they're just being exclusive in a different way. And uh, mm -hmm. so, but I think that's, that's postmodernism in a nutshell, right? That it is self-contradictory and they can't mm -hmm. explain it and they just kind of accept contradictions because that's kind of their worldview. But uh, it is kind of ironic to me every time I, I hear of someone, oh, don't be exclusive. And then, oh, but you can't be here. You don't agree with me. It's like, hold on a second. <laughs> well, well, it's kind of like the whole, don't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge me, you piece of garbage. Didn't you just judge me? <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't. <laughs> um, this kind of comes down to an overall problem nowadays, which is the whole idea of instead of us being created image of God, we mm -hmm. try to shape God into our own image. You That's know? why I made it a point to say that homosexuals will be in heaven, except in heaven, they will no longer be homosexuals. I wanted to make sure that they understood that I include people, transgenders, homosexuals. They can go to heaven if they accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and I made that clear. But as soon as I said, oh, but in heaven, they'll be transformed. <laughs> they don't like that part. That sounds exclusionary, and it's like, how can you be a Christian and also exclude? It, it just doesn't compute. It's like, it's really a struggle for them. They're not trying to hate me. It's just, they just know that you cannot exclude. That's, a, that's just the truth. And so if I'm a Christian saying, oh, well, homosexuals, I mean, they're not normal. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't say that because you're excluding them. You can't be a Christian and also exclude. So, so to them, it's like it's a confusion. They don't know how to reconcile the two. They don't understand that it's a, they're, once again, it's, 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 it's their pre-thinking, their, their worldview has to change. It's why do they think this is a high truth that no one can doubt? Mm. Yeah, and you know, uh, that's actually brings up a really interesting point. And one I wanted to circle back to that from what you said when they first asked your definition of Christianity, you said, and you mentioned like following the commandments is at least minimum. Now, I think this would be a great theological point real fast. How, and I get asked this regularly. I'm sure you do as a pastor too. What would you say is the relationship between following the commandments and, you know, being moral and following God's law, but at the same time, being saved and some and stumbling or not having a perfect life, faith and works. How do you how do you normally go about fleshing that out for people? 
Well, that's an argument that I often have with Catholics, as they always are quick to quote James chapter 2, saying faith without deeds is dead. I mean, they love that verse, but they don't read the verse that comes right after, that, that works, shows the faith, that, that James wasn't saying, you have your faith, now look at my works. That's not what he says in James chapter 2. He says, look at your faith, and he says, look at my faith by what I do. He says, look at my faith. So he's comparing false faith versus true faith. He's not comparing faith versus works, but morality, doing God's commandments, doing His will, that shows that we have been saved, that we have true faith. Just as Jesus said, a tree is known by its fruit. A tree is not built by its fruit. You don't build the fruit by adding, you don't build the tree by adding fruit to it, but once the tree is solid, then it will bear fruit. So when a Christian truly loves Jesus and knows Jesus and has salvation, then we'll bear fruit of morality, patience, kindness, goodness, and all these good things. Not because those things save us, but because we are already saved. That's a, I think that's a simple truth, but I think many Catholics have a hard time getting hold of that, partly because of the way they grew up and their traditions and all those, reconciling all the traditions together. But it's a simple truth that Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Mm. And it's not, it's not the doing that saves us but it's a doing that shows that we have been saved. Right. That's that, that's very eloquently put. You put a few really you put, worded that well. Uh, and that's <laughs> and that's exactly kind of the idea where it's like, well, we're not saying that you have to live a perfect life. You know, Paul even said that, which I hate, I do. You know, <laughs> it's it's we have a we have a flesh and we're going to be fighting against that. But the whole thing is the fact that, yes, we but we show our obedience and our through obedience, we're showing our faith. And, you know, though we yeah. might stumble, we should live as uh, it also says to keep faith, no, uh, yeah, to keep fruit, which is consistent with repentance. So there's this idea of like a consistent living of trying to honor God in that. So I, I think sometimes people will get the wrong idea about the exclusive exclusivism. Yes, truth by nature is exclusive. You know, if you're not true, you're false. So um, truth by nature is exclusive. So the biggest thing, though, is that we forget that I think they kind of take the idea of no Jew or no Gentile, no slave or free, no man or woman, and, and they want to take that and they want to run with it and not understanding the fact that let's talk about identity in Christ. And so I really think when it comes down to it, you know, sometimes they have a, we have a hard time in our culture rec like getting people to understand these things, mainly because, like you said, the traditions they came from or the ideology that you're dealing with before, because if the number one thing is inclusivism, then by nature, when somebody comes in and makes an, an exclusive statement, you want to ironically exclude them out because you're trying to protect your inclusive group, uh, which is, again, it's self-defeating, but a lot of people don't see that. Do you, do you understand? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So do you think that there's... Is there's a relationship as to why that we got here at all? Is there any insight you have on how our culture has become so truth fluid? <laughs> no, I'm not. A, I'm not a social scientist. I'm sure you could find some philosophy papers on postmodernism and things like that. But um, but we have to recognize the fact that that's the culture that we live in, and we can't pretend that like it doesn't exist. That's why I also have to recognize that I do come off like a jerk at times to those. Not you, of course, but to those who don't see it from that perspective, because, oh my gosh, he's excluding, he's a jerk. That's just an obvious, I don't have to think about it, it's, it's just a fact. From that fact, let me de derive everything else. And so, hmm. one of the most dangerous things that I could say as a Christian is that you can only be saved through Jesus Christ. Now, that's a clear truth that's taught in the Bible, John 14, verse 6. But, 
in today's culture, that's one of the most dangerous things to say. How can you say that a Buddhist will automatically go to hell because he doesn't know Jesus? How can you say a Muslim? Oh, you can't talk bad about Muslims, that Muslims are going to hell without Jesus automatically, without even knowing that person. And I say, yes, yes, because the Bible is clear when it teaches that. But when I say it, I have to prepare them before I say it. I have to make sure that they understand where I'm coming from, because as soon as I say it, I know they're going to judge me. But we have to recognize that and, and not pretend like that doesn't exist. It does. It's dangerous to say it, but the gospel is dangerous, and we have to say it. Yeah, true. And uh, actually, one of the things you kind of uh, said there kind of stuck out to me when you said the fact that, like, look, you know, you can find philosophy papers on this, but the truth is that we just have to, ex we have to understand the reality that this is the world we live in. And one of the biggest things I think that stuck out with me about your ministry is the fact that you're not trying to, you're not a Christian pastor who's trying to live in a bubble. You're not trying to protect yourself from all the external bad ideas and, oh, this is the evil world and I have to run from it all. Like, no, we are told to be in the world, not of it. And so I found that to be interesting that where you're like, no, we have to spearhead the world. We have to accept that this is the world we live in. And I, I've said this a number of times. There's so many great Christian people who are, you know, good, good Bible-loving folk. And But the problem is, is the fact that they do, they withdraw themselves so much because they're so scared of the world. And mm. they're so scared of all those other things that they would rather withdraw. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that? Like Christians need, I, I think Christians need to kind of get back in, in the game a little bit here and stop being so scared of it all. Well, that's true, too, but I understand why they're scared. And although we can say from the pulpit, get out there, they'll be like, no, because we haven't prepared them. As Oof. leaders, we have to prepare them for what they could face out there, because if we don't, we can't just push them out there because they're so afraid of how some Christians look. They look so stupid on TV, and they don't want to be like that. So maybe if I shy away and hide, I won't appear stupid like that guy on TV. But instead of shying away to avoid those stupid um circumstances if we prepare them and say hey they might say this to you what what would you say you'll see this out there what are you what are your thoughts on that what are your thoughts on transgender operations have you thought about that so when your friend asks you you don't just shy away oh, i don't talk about those things but because you've thought about it at home and you've heard my viewpoints behind the pulpit now you have certain things to say but before we do that they have nothing in, uh oh I'm, i might say something dumb or stupid or offensive about transgender so I'm not gonna say anything because if I say something ex exclusionary I'm gonna lose a friendship and so if we prepare them I think they'll be more willing to go out there well, I think that really leads into my next question I think you kind of answered part of it already so I, I thought we, we kind of beat up on progressive Christians a little bit so I was curious what your thoughts are on and where do conservative Christians go wrong it sounds like we already touched on one point is that they're shying away from giving the truth and they're not prepared to give the truth so they're just backing away, and they're, they don't know what to do in these situations. But anything else that you could think of that conservative Christians are really getting wrong, either interacting with the culture or just in general, um, and how they conduct uh, their, their faith? I think many people just haven't um, thought deeply about the issues. I tell you, it's both progressives or conservatives. I think most people just go along with what the crowd is saying. But conservatives, more. I mean, they've been taught the truth. They know it's the truth. So why know why it's the truth? So they just accept the truth. And whoever's against it, hey, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But then when they want a dialogue of why it's wrong, they don't have anything to say except mm. this is the truth. 
Now, bye-bye. That's not a dialogue. That's not a conversation because they haven't thought the issues through. They just said, this is what my pastor teaches. It's the truth. And I'm going to hold on to it, which is good, by the way. But in order to dialogue with the world, you have to think the issues through why you think that's true. But I think we haven't done that, maybe out of laziness or maybe out of less exposure. But when you are exposed to either the media that's saying something or to your school teacher that's teaching your children certain things and you haven't thought it through, it's like, oh, oh, I, I hate that teacher. I'm going to cut him off of school. But where's the dialogue? Where's the, the reasoning behind all this? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, one thing I want, one thing I wanted to ask you, because this is something I always uh, I feel like I'm a bit more of a hot take on it than most people. So I'll give you the hot seat, and uh, and I'll give my hot take uh, here. Uh, I'll let you speak, then I'll give my hot take. So, but what are your thoughts on? Do you believe that progressive Christians are actually saved? I think that's. Um... I think it depends on the progressive Christian because there's levels of progressiveness True. for everybody. Although there are not many levels of conservatism, it's either you stand on it or not. But for progressives, it's quite progressive. You <laughs> could be here or way out there. It really depends on, so really it depends on if they know the gospel and they live by the gospel. So whether they have wrong beliefs on evolution or abortion, I think uh, God will discipline them in heaven and tell them whether they were, they, were, they were wrong. But if they have the gospel correct, if they know Jesus, love Jesus, but they have some other things wrong about transgender or politics or abortion, I could live with that. But if they know the gospel and they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're my brothers. They could be incorrect brothers, brothers who have wrong ideas, but brothers and sisters in Christ if they love my Lord as well. And he put that way more eloquently than I would have. Uh, I, I was going to say, basically, I say I think it depends on the on, on the Christian as well or the person as well. You know, again, levels of progressivism. But at the same time, like the large majority of the ones I've interacted with almost completely reject all orthodoxy to the point where I'm like, I don't think I can comfortably mm. say that your fruit is that which is consistent with Jesus Christ. Um mm. Which is sad. I mean, there was that uh, uh, Brandon, what's his name, recently, who put out that whole, like, Jesus was a racist TikTok. I'm not sure if you saw that. It no, was, I, didn't, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Basically, he's saying that calling the Canaanite woman a dog uh, was a race, yeah. racial slur when really he's not understanding the cultural idioms at all of what's being mm -hmm. said in the Greek there. And, you know, I'm, I'm over here, like, and if you re listen to what him and other people have said in that vein, I'm like, man, these are... This isn't Christianity. You're hijacking the name of Jesus and hijacking it for a social uh, for agenda. And I really do not want to be in your shoes one day. That's all I can say. So but another yeah. thing on a, sl a small comment about that is that I think people feel like they can judge God and get away with it. Be <laughs> like, it's up to me whether that's true or not. The thing is, I would even say, what if God is a racist? What if God is a homophobe? He's still God. Does that change who he is? I mean, what if he does one thing wrong? Who, am I going to judge God, say, stop it? Well, Abraham tried, and, and we have reasons to say there are morality issues, but we can't say, well, if God's like that, I don't believe him. It's not up to you <laughs> to make him exist or not. He, you may hate him, but he's still God. No, that's so true. In fact, uh, I've said all the time, you, if you deny God, 
you know, God, God isn't real. Like you deny God. Let's say you deny God's existence, but then you have moral outrage on the God of the Bible. I'm like, no, without God, you don't get the privilege of moral outrage. You know, it's all based on your own subjective feelings. So, mm-hmm. and again, uh, I, in fact, I had a conversation with a, a lady yesterday who was saying that God was sexist in the Old Testament. And of course I had, I explained some of the verses and some of the things that what the misunderstandings of these things. But then I was also like, but also, you know, who are you, oh man, to, you know, shake your fist at God, you know, quote the old Romans nine to them. And, <laughs> and it's like, you know, we're man, you know, we have to remember the pecking order. He, he's the transcendent morality. I am the creation. And, you know, therefore I need to be in line with him because that his, he's objective. I'm subjective. So anyway, honestly, Honestly, there's a few points in the Bible where I read where I disagree with God. But when I disagree with God, I know who's wrong. Me. <laughs> <laughs> so even though I, it's okay for me to disagree, but I'm not going to judge God and say that he's wrong or I'm going to walk away from this or that. I, I just have to recognize that, okay, I don't agree with God all the time, but there's got to be something wrong with me or I don't understand something fully. Like when God ordered all the babies to be killed in, in the Old Testament, I'm like, well, even the babies, God, I disagree. But God has his reasons that I don't know about. And I could still disagree and still be a Christian, but still, you know, I have to know my place. Yeah, well, I think that goes into the whole understanding God's, God's position of sovereignty over ours, right? Like, mm. God, I don't understand why fully you would do that. I have reasons that I think could be the possibility, but I don't know fully what that is in your seat. But that's because I am a finite man. And you are an mm-hmm. infinite being of righteousness, goodness, mercy, grace, and wrath and judgment. Uh, I don't, and you know how you how that circle squares in in the face of eternity. Again, I don't know. I'm a finite human. And, so. and how that relates to progressive is that I've never seen that perspective from pro- progressives thinking that oh, I disagree with God, but God must have some plan. No, I disagree with God. Therefore, God must be wrong, or the Bible must be wrong because God couldn't have written that. I'm like. But can't you just see what I'm saying? Like, what if we're, we're just wrong and we disagree with God? It's okay to disagree with God, but to say that God is wrong because of that? I've never heard a progressive say that. I don't know why. Yeah, uh, well, I think point. this goes into, again, that whole idea of creating God in our own image. You know, mm-hmm. and, the, and the thing is, it's like when it, with that type of topic, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind regularly, it's like, yeah, a lot of those laws and the things that God commands us to follow— God's a different category. He's not human. He's not. So, for example, me, God telling me not to murder. I cannot take this pen and shove it into Brian's neck, mainly because Brian I... would probably overpower me. I really wish uh, this was live now. <laughs> um, the man Send is way stronger than he looks. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I can't do that. Why? Because I'm man and I have a moral law. I'm bound by God. If he kills, it's not really murder because he's the author of life and death. So he's in a different category, I think, there. Uh, so again, but we could go back and forth on all these different theodicies on how we could reconcile these things. But the point is, you're right. I've never heard a, a progressive Christian go, yeah, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about this with God yet. And I'm still studying this out, still trying to understand it. But, you know, I know my place in the universe. It's always, like you said, oh, the Bible must be wrong or God must be wrong. And, you know, you look, I say it all the time. You, no one says you have to be a Christian. Christians believe in the Bible. No one says you have to be a Christian, and no one says you have to believe in God. Just stop trying to rewrite ours. 
<sighs> so anyway, uh, did you have more questions there, Brian? No, that's all I had. Wow. All right. That was simple enough. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time. So I only have, uh, I have two questions because I don't get pastors on here very often. All right. All right. So the first question is, I have a lot of seminary students that listen to this podcast and watch us on YouTube and things like that. For anyone striving to go into pastoral ministry, what would you say would be some of the biggest advice you could give? I think the number one thing is to be sure of your calling, because hmm. ministry in itself is going to be very difficult. It's difficult in different ways for different people. But it's always going to be difficult, whether it's finance-related or family-related, or you'll encounter some dilemmas, and you'll make mistakes. But if you're sure of your calling, that God called you to be a minister of God's Word and to be a pastor of His people, it doesn't matter how hard it gets, you know you're in the right place. But if you're not sure of your calling, you're going to doubt so many things about where you're headed, where you are. You'll quit <laughs> seminary, you'll quit church, you'll quit ministry. And I've seen that several times, even one person that I discipled. If you're not, you, so you have to be sure that this is what God wants you to do. If you're sure of that, it doesn't matter how hard it gets, you'll make it through. Hmm. That's, that's, yeah, that's very powerful. Um, my pastor, uh, that my pastor, John, he was saying that uh, he was always told that to always stay out of ministry, if at all possible, unless you can't. And it's such a good way to put that because, you know, for me, I knew when I was 17 years old, I surrendered to, to serve God in ministry and went through it all. I, I uh, was a youth pastor. Then I was a lead pastor at Door Baptist where I met this guy. And now I'm serving at another local church here and doing a lot of apologetics and teaching and stuff there. And it's like, no matter what, I knew what my calling was. Like, you're, you're right. What keeps me going, because we've been, I've been through the ringer. Uh, I didn't start the church split because it was just a clever name. Uh, it's because I experienced oh. division in church, and I've right. seen that happen. And I've, and being the pastor when everyone's at each other's throats and everyone hates oh. you, especially because whatever given reason, <laughs> um, you know, you know, you if you've pastored, you know how angry people can get over silly things. And mm -hmm. you know, for me, it was just this whole idea of like, okay, I know what God called me to do. Though He called me to serve Him and to preach His word. Which means no matter how difficult it gets, no matter where my ministry might shift, I'm still I'm still in it, and I have to be in that game. Uh, so I just that is the best advice I probably think someone could hear because that when all else fails, when your church is falling apart, when your ministry is difficult, you're you know you're not getting a lot of sleep, you don't have a lot of financial support. The thing that's going to anchor you down is not only God's word, but that calling that you know God has put upon your life mm -hmm. to try that to finish that course. I mean. Ask Noah, right? That man was building an ark for how long? <laughs> and I imagine he went through vicious mockery and a ton of other things mm. doing such a thing. And yet he had to, he endured. So yeah, that's great advice. Keep with the call. And the second thing I would add is um, know the word. Because mm. as you know, ministry gets so busy that after seminary, you're not, it's hard to get back into doctrinal studies and studying the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, many pastors don't go back to it after seminary. So in seminary, really learn the word, really learn. You can learn missions and ministry and preaching. I got better at preaching after seminary. But so you can learn other things other times and from other people. People are the best resource. But in seminary, you have to, have to, have to know the word. So after seminary, you could say, I know the word. 
You could even call yourself an expert of the Bible. That's how much you have to study and know God's words. So that after seminary, you can have the confidence. Otherwise, progressives, progressives that will eat you alive. Mm. That is so true, and that's so good. And that was that's one of the things I'm very thankful about in my church growing up. My pastor, uh, he always exegeted from the Word. It was mm. never. I mean, he just would preach the text. I mean, no one knew if he was, it was really funny because people didn't know if he was Calvinist, Arminian. It was funny. They were doing, he was doing a Romans, uh, like preach through and he got to Romans nine and a bunch of people left the church because what he was preaching <laughs> was Calvinistic. We're not Calvinists. I'm like, even though he's just preaching straight from the text. <laughs> you the should have told them to just delete chapter nine. Just, Easy. Just, yeah. <laughs> we'll take, yeah, take a page from our progressive friends and just, that's, that's right. Sorry. Oh, that was a low Paul. blow. <laughs> or Nancy Pelosi. It just, all right. Okay. <laughs> probably too far. All right. That was perfect. <laughs> but, uh, so the, yeah, that's the whole thing. We're like, yeah, you got to be, you got to know the word. And I loved that. Uh, my pastor, when I went to seminary, my first two years was a breeze and everyone else was like, oh, I'm trying to really learn these doctrines and learn all this stuff. And I was like, really? You don't know where I can give you like 10 verses off the top of my head that validate that doctrine. But it's all because my pastor beat that into my skull growing up. And I am so to this day, so thankful for it. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, Pastor Jason, that was sure shot advice there. So my, my final question, and this is the question I ask every single guest. And uh, so if you've watched the show or listened to it all, you already know which one's coming. But it's the question because we call ourselves the church split. We talk about divisive topics in the church, and some of it can get pretty hairy depending on what topic we're discussing. So my question to you is... Um, how do you think your ministry can unite a divided body? I think the more we align ourselves to the truth, because we're both going in the same direction, I think we become more aligned to each other. That we don't have to make abortion the issue of our debates, but if we seek the truth, even if we may, we may not come to the same conclusion, but if we seek the truth of God from God's word, I think we'll draw closer and closer together that way. I know that the progressive answer is, all you need is love. But I think truth is more powerful in getting rid of the divisions. I think uh, in that way, you don't have to have so much patience and, so, and, be, and become so forgiving because if you're both lovers of the truth, you'll start to understand certain things together and see the same thing from the same point of view. Mm. Then you won't have to be patient with that brother that you disagree with because you're both lovers of truth. So both in my church, which we teach the Bible, and in my Pastor Jason Answers video, I want people to understand the truth. Although my audience, of course, is more non-Christian, secular, and those who are in and out of church, I think if, if they see the truth of what Jesus really teaches, what the Bible really teaches, I think a lot of the prejudice will go away. Not that we'll become totally united and everything, but I think we take steps towards that when we take steps towards the truth. Mm. I agree with that so much. I've said that truth should be the thing that unites us the most. And if that, and if we are pursuing the truth, we'll all at least get pretty close in mm. our, in our opinions. And then our differentiations will be small distinctions within the body, not, not these vast things. And, you know, and I've said it before, you know, it's great to have love and acceptance, but what is love without that, without truth? What is love without discipline? Right. What's, What's love without discipline, right? Like if I love my child, I'm going to discipline my child. 
Not because I enjoy hurting her, but because when as she grows older, I'm trying to make her a better person for when she I'm having her future in mind. So what is love without truth? What is love without some discipline? Um, and it, it's empty. It's just, it, it turns into death by empathy. You know, mm. it's just, just death by through enablement. So I like that. I really like this, this is why I knew I liked you right when I was watching <laughs> that, uh, right when I was watching that Jubilee, I was like, of course, Angel, I'm like empathizing with him the entire time on, uh, I'm firing on every empathetic cylinder I have, which I have like two, that's about <laughs> it. Um, and then, and then Pastor Jason, you're in there just like, you know, you're being kind, but also straightforward. And I don't, as much as I say harsh, I don't think it was even that. I think you were straightforward, but there was also grace that was a gracious, a gracious truth that was being poured out uh, from you. And I could tell it was from your heart in that. And I really think that, I mean, I look at the millions of views that things gotten, right? I mean, you look at the hundreds and thousands of views. That was a witness. You guys, all, all of you were witnesses that day for God's truth. And I really appreciate your work. So um, if anyone wants to support your ministry, you know, uh, what's, what are some best ways for them to get to be able to reach out, uh, like a sub to the channel, obviously? Is there any way that they could get in touch to try to support your ministry if they were interested? Oh, they could just uh, send me an email at pastorjason at yahoo.com. That's the easiest way. And then I can connect them from there. Perfect. Sounds awesome. I will we'll plug uh, your channel into the description below and everything, so that way people can go find you. It's really fascinating stuff. Uh, they, they hop in Pastor Jason's car, and he starts asking <laughs> theology questions, and he's just driving, and the <laughs> nicest guy. It's such a cool ministry. I'm kind of upset that he came up with it. I, 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 now I want, it. I want to be an Uber driver and do that. That'd be fun. <laughs> so, uh, Pastor Jason, thank you so much for your time Thanks, today. You. And guys, do not forget to like and sub to the Church Split and go to Pastor Jason Answers. Uh, go check them out there. You'll have a great time. So anyway, thank you guys for tuning into the church split. Take care and God bless.